0: How many of you know that today, historically, is called Pentecost Sunday in the Church of Jesus Christ? And this is the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out 50 days after Passover, and we still need that Holy Spirit power in our lives today to live for Jesus, to walk in boldness in this world. And you know that the power of the Holy Spirit is still available to you today. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us and gives us the strength and courage to live? for Jesus in a lost and broken world some people are like I don't know how I'm gonna do it I don't know how I can keep living for Jesus it's so hard you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life bro he's your helper he's the one that helps you make it through and we need his help today we're talking today in week two of our series on grace and truth about God's design for sexuality Perhaps there's more deception and confusion around this issue than any other issue, and there's a lot of controversy about this subject, but just because it's controversial doesn't mean that God's word isn't clear. The word of God is full of grace and truth, and in this sermon, we're going to probably start out with more tough truth, but it's going to lead us to God's loving grace that sets us free, starting in Romans chapter 1. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Do you realize that God gets angry? Some people don't like that. Like, I don't want my God to get angry. I want God to be a wish-granting sky fairy. Who just does nice things for people, but you get angry and you have a right to get angry. If people commit injustice against you or try to hurt people that you love, you get angry. So why can you get angry, but not God? God gets angry about sin and he gets angry about anything that hurts the people that he loves. In fact, it's important for us to remember that Jesus didn't just save us from sin and death and hell and ourselves, but he also saved us from God. Let me say that again. Jesus saved us from God. Because of our sin, God's wrath was stored up. And you can think of it like this. Every time you sin, it's like God's wrath towards sin was stored up in a cup. And either you will drink the cup of God's wrath yourself in hell, or you will allow Jesus to have drank it for you on the cross. We needed Jesus to absorb the wrath of God so that we could go free by God's mercy. But there are some people who, rather than admitting they need a savior, they'll try to excuse their sins, thinking that absolves them of responsibility for their sin. But there is no excuse for sin, because God has made the truth obvious, and he says in his word, there is no excuse. There's no excuse for sin, and that includes sexual sin. The question that we all have to ask is, does God have a right to tell me what to do with my sexuality? Does anyone have authority over me, outside of me? For Christians, the answer is yes. Jesus is my king. Jesus is not just the Lord of my heart. He's also the Lord of my pants. <laughs> and he gets to tell me what to do with every part of my life, including my sexuality. In Genesis 1:27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Look at this. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. So God created male and female. He established sex and gender as fixed identities based on your chromosomes, genetics, and your gonads. It's a funny word, but that's what it's Medically called. The world has divorced itself from reality and says that, no, 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 gender and sex, those things should be fluid based on your feelings. That just doesn't make sense. Let me show you an example. I heard Pastor Mark Driscoll use this example. He said, what if I told you I'm a young Asian girl? What would you say? you say, no, you're not. But in our culture today, if I told you I'm a girl they would say, okay, well, if that's how you feel, that's what we'll call you. But God has made the truth obvious. Other than in the case of rare deformities or genetic deformities, baby is born, you can look at the parts, and you can see who's what, and it's very obvious how everything fits together. But today people suppress the truth. And they say, no, 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 God made a mistake when he made me. And it's not me who needs to repent, it's God who needs to repent for what he did wrong. And I'm going to fix myself and remake myself the way I should have been. So you get people mutilating themselves with gender reassignment surgeries and saying that these should be tax funded and children should be able to get these surgeries even without their parents' consent. And it's not like it's just one person on an island, but these Ways of thinking have consequences that affect other people. We have biological men using the same restroom as little girls and competing in sports against women. And even the world is looking at this and saying, how does this work? Well, it doesn't work. It defies the truth which God has made clear. This is the result of wickedness. Gender confusion is just that. It's confusion. And the Bible says, God is not the author of confusion. He made gender identity very clear, male and female. And he said, this is very good. God also made his design for sexuality very clear. In Genesis 2, it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they were both naked, but they felt no shame. God's design for sex is that it is a good gift that should be enjoyed in marriage between one man and one woman. This is the only marriage that God views as valid. Regardless of what the state says, you can get a piece of paper But God only sees marriage as between one man and one woman, as a valid marriage. And God says, in that context, sex is a good thing. It's guilt-free, it's STD-free, and it's risk-free. There's so much shame and awkwardness about sex in our culture because there's so much sexuality taking place outside of God's boundaries. Now, sexual sin has been happening for a long time, but things have gone downhill rapidly in recent history. In the 1960s, we experienced the sexual revolution in America, which was basically free sex without boundaries. People said, we're no longer gonna be confined by traditional constructs for sexuality. Now you should just have sex with it whenever you want, with whoever you want, do what makes you feel good, no more boundaries, but we know today and we all realize this, this is true, that boundaries are a blessing. That's right. The world says boundaries are repressive and mean and constrictive, but boundaries are a blessing. Like I've gone skiing sometimes up at Flagstaff or in Show Low, and you and know, if you ski inside the boundaries, you can have a really good time. You might fall once in a while, get kind of bruised up, but you can have a good time. When you go outside the boundaries... It might get really exciting for a minute, but you're likely to run into trees or ski off the edge of a cliff and die. The boundaries are not restrictive and mean and confining. They're a blessing that keeps you alive. And that's how God's boundaries for sex work. It might be exciting to go out those boundaries for a minute, but you're going to end up getting hurt. In 1973, abortion was legalized in the United States, which led to sex without consequence. Used to be part of the reason people didn't have sex until they were married is that women didn't want to get stuck raising children alone. But in this new context, the message was, well, you can have sex whenever you want. If you get pregnant, just kill the baby, which led to sex without consequence. But sex is supposed to have consequence. It's supposed to have good consequence. In marriage, it's fun, fun, it leads to increased intimacy and oftentimes pregnancy. But outside of marriage, it just leads to regret, shame, people being taken advantage of, and sometimes even murder through abortion. In the early 90s, there was a proliferation of porno- pornography on the internet. Pornography has existed for thousands of years, but when it went on the internet, it became widespread at a whole new level, and anyone could get access to it anytime with just the click of a button. And lots of young curious kids stumbled upon it. And pornography is not just innocent pastime, but it's like a drug that has a chemical reaction in your brain scientifically, triggering the pleasure centers of your brain that God put there to be enjoyed in a healthy way within marriage. And it's not like you just use soft core porn forever, but it always leads to darker and darker things as you build up a tolerance to what you're seeing and people get hurt. God created sex to be good when you enjoy it in the proper framework within marriage. But we mess it up in all sorts of creative ways. And there are forbidden sexual acts the Bible lists. Let me talk through some of those things. Fornication is having sex with someone you're not Married to, So you'll see a boyfriend and girlfriend living together, maybe sleeping together and they think, well, what's the harm? We're committed to each other and we love each other. The problem is, is that in fornication, you're breaking God's laws and people get hurt. Yeah. Fornication is not practice for being married. Living together, sleeping together before you're married is not practice for being married. It's actually practice for divorce. If you're sleeping with someone you're not married to, either get married or break up. By the end of the service, hopefully. (laughs) Adultery is having sex outside of marriage. Polygamy is having a sexual relationship with more than one person. This includes polyamory. Rape is forcing yourself on someone. Incest is sex between family members. Homosexuality, I'll talk about here in this message. Bestiality is having sex with an animal. Prostitution is paying for sex. Sexual immorality, this Greek word porneia, is an all-encompassing word for any type of sexual sin in your thought life. It's where we get the word porn. And then there's pagan sexual immorality, where you see that pagan idol worship is oftentimes connected hand-in-hand with sexual sin. And so you look at this list, and you quickly realize that we're all guilty. We've all broken God's laws and sinned sexually at one time or another. So before we take the Bible and use it as binoculars to find all the sin in everybody else's life, we should use it first as a mirror to examine our own hearts and repent of our own sin. Because we've all broken God's laws, some of us more than one. And we all need forgiveness. We all need a Savior. We all need God's mercy and grace. The world recognizes the immorality of many of these sins, which God points out, like rape and incest. But then there are certain sins that the world says, not only should those be tolerated, but celebrated. And there's perhaps no greater deception than around the issue of homosexuality. For long periods of church history, many Christians were unkind and unloving towards LGBT people. And so for quite some time, I think Christians needed to be reminded of God's grace, that he loves all people regardless of their sin. But today, many Christians need to be reminded of the truth, that sexual immorality is still unacceptable to God. His word has not changed. We are saved by grace and we're thankful for God's love, but grace without truth is not loving. We need grace and truth. Amen, church? Up until 1974, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders listed homosexuality as a clinically diagnosed mental disorder. So in one generation, it went from being a clinical disorder to tolerated to celebrated. Shows you how quickly things can change. In a recent Gallup poll, Americans were asked, what percentage of the population do you think is gay or bisexual? And the average answer people said was 23%. In reality, it's less than 5%. But the reason people have this perception that the number is so high is because there is a gross overrepresentation of gay characters in television and movies. You watch a TV show, and there's always a gay character represented, even in cartoons and in children's shows today. One of the reasons that so many Christians and your children are confused around this issue is because you get more exposure to homosexuality in television than you know about what the Bible says concerning this issue. You know more about Mitch and Cam than Matthew and Corinthians. Some of you don't get that reference. If you're a parent, I want to encourage you and challenge you not to let your children watch television shows that celebrate and feature homosexuality. That's gonna take a lot of shows off the menu. The media wants to normalize this behavior for your children. And what you tolerate, your children will celebrate. What you allow, the future generations will embrace. It's so important for you to disciple your children and teach them the truth of God's word because if you don't, the world will disciple them for you. In fact, the world is trying to disciple your children right now. Sadly, a lot of pastors and especially large churches won't touch this subject with a 10-foot pole. They say it's because they want to be loving to all people, but I think in reality, it's oftentimes that they just don't want to deal with rocking the boat and the backlash. Some of the biggest named pastors on the internet with large followings and the most influence say the least about this. And I don't know if it's because they don't want to lose followers or book deals or what. But it's frustrating Because there are so many people today who are deceived and even Christians who don't understand what the Bible actually says about this. And they've been more influenced by the world than God's word. I know that some people won't like this message, but truthfully, I'm not really concerned with that. I'm not concerned with being popular or liked or getting a lot of followers. I am concerned with hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. How many of you are glad you don't have my job today? You're like, oh, being a pastor seems great next week. (laughs) I'm normally really fun. So if this is your first Sunday, come back next Sunday. (laughs) What does God say about homosexuality? Doesn't matter what I think about it, but we're concerned with what does God say about this? The first appearance of homosexuality in the Bible is in Genesis 19 where two angels come disguised as men and visit Abraham's nephew, Lot, in the city of Sodom, which had completely given itself over to sexual immorality, which culminated in homosexuality. In Genesis 19, verse 4, it says, all the men of Sodom, this is where we get the word sodomy, young and old come from, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Some people today try to argue that Sodom's sin was (laughs) inhospitality. I suppose you could say that homosexual gang rape is inhospitable. God destroyed this city, not specifically because of homosexuality, but because of its total wickedness. God destroyed the city, the Bible says, with fire and brimstone. You can actually go to the Middle East today, to the archaeological remains of where this city was, and it is still, to this day, a desolate wasteland. And interestingly, there are remnants of sulfurous rock embedded in the ground all over the place, which is what the Bible calls brimstone in some translations. This helps us to begin to understand how God feels about sin, In Leviticus 18, verse 22, it says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. In Leviticus 20, verse 13, it says, If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both have committed a detestable act. They must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. So the death penalty part of this was a law for the nation of Israel. We're not citizens of the ancient nation of Israel, so that no longer applies to us, but the morality of this law is still true. It's not ambiguous language how God feels about this. God loves people. He loves people that are committing sins, but he hates sin because sin hurts people and it defies his authority and holiness. Now, there are skeptics that will throw out silly objections because they don't really want to understand God's ways. They just want an excuse to live their own way. And so, for example, we read these verses in Leviticus, and I've heard people say, well, oh, yeah, but Leviticus also says you shouldn't eat shellfish. And if you want to understand the ceremonial and moral and societal law that's found in the Old Testament, it's not really difficult to understand what does and doesn't apply to us anymore. God made it clear to Peter in Acts chapter 10 that all foods are clean, but the New Testament reinforces the ideas found about homosexuality in the Old Testament. And I like to point out that Leviticus also forbids rape and murder, and nobody tries to say that those things don't apply to us anymore. In 1 Timothy 1 verse eight it says, "'We know that the law is good when used correctly, "'for the law was not intended for people "'who do what is right.'" In other words, it's not a tool for Christians to use to enforce legalism. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. So said another way, the law isn't for Christians to enforce legalism, but the law is a good thing for non-believers who live lawlessly and rebelliously so that they can see God's standard of righteousness and realize they don't measure up and then they can call on a savior to save them. The law pushes truth and leads us to grace at the same time. Some people ask this question, well, why didn't Jesus say anything about homosexuality? Well, one, you just read Leviticus 20, which said there's a death penalty attached to this crime. And so there weren't a lot of Jews sitting around in first century Israel debating the pros and cons of this lifestyle. They weren't unclear where God stood on this matter. But there's a lot of things Jesus didn't talk about. And an argument from silence is a fallacy. Jesus didn't say anything about nuclear warheads. Doesn't mean he likes them. He didn't list out all the ways that a person could sin sexually. He didn't talk about rape. He didn't talk about incest. But he did reinforce God's design for sexuality. Rather than list out all the don'ts, he reinforced the do's. Jesus said this, Mark 10, verse five. Jesus responded, God made them male and female. That sounds familiar, right? He's going back to the word of God. He's not talking about popular culture or people's feelings. He goes back to the word of God. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Jesus reinforced God-designed sex to be enjoyed between one man and one woman, and that's it, period. In Romans chapter one, it goes on in the New Testament to talk about this. It says, so God abandoned them, to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. You know it's bad when the women also crossed the line. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every, wic- every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. It's a very intense passage, and I read it so that you can understand what I mean when I say there's no way to read this and come away with another translation that tries to make homosexuality acceptable to God. Sexual sin is the result of worshiping creation instead of the creator. When God created the heavens and the earth, he said, this is good. But it was after he created the man and the woman, he said, this is very good. The human body was the pinnacle of God's creation. And sexual sin stems from worshiping the human body instead of the one that we're made in the image of. Really, all sin is a result of rebellion against God's authority. And you see in this passage how it mentions pride and boastfulness. You see, Lucifer's original sin was pride. He thought he could do a better job than God. And so he started a rebellion and God threw him out of heaven with a third of the angels. And he's been trying to lead people in rebellion against God ever since. The devil took a rainbow, which was the sign of God's promised faithfulness, and he turned it into a sign of rebelliousness against God's created order. Think about the phrase gay pride. Gay is a word that means happy and was commonly used in the English language. And then pride. So you've got parades of people who say, I'm happy and proud of rebelling against my creator. Now I'm aware that some of you have family members and friends who identify as gay. And I sympathize with that. And so we have a lot of mixed feelings when we talk about this. On one hand, we love the truth of God's word. Amen, church? On the other hand, we love people. Amen? Amen. So what do you do? What do you do when you love the truth and you love people who are sinning? Nobody wants to think about a loved one being lost. It's tragic. So what some Christians will do is they'll resist the truth and they'll start latching on to thinking that comes from the world instead of God's word. And they'll ask questions like, well, is it really that bad? Maybe some people are just kind of born different. Look, you got family members and you've got friends who identify one way or another. Your family and your friends and your feelings don't change the facts. Sin is sin. And sin is never acceptable to God for any reason ever. Now, you can find a, a small minority of pastors or theologians, or even some denominations today who try to excuse away homosexuality or make it seem like it could be okay to practice that lifestyle as a Christian. And they'll say things like, well, we found a new, better interpretation. Those verses don't apply to us today. Or it's not a sin if it's in a committed relationship. And I need you to understand this. Those are lies from hell. Those denominations are apostate. Those pastors are false teachers and heretics. Am I being clear? Robert Gagnon, a professor at a liberal seminary the University of Pittsburgh, a liberal school, went through the whole Bible and wrote a whole book about how there is no way to make the Bible conclude that God approves of homosexuality in any way. It's impossible. But in 1 Timothy, we get a better understanding of this. It says in chapter four, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, I think we're a lot closer to the last times today than we were before, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. Some Christians have bought into demonic teaching that homosexuality is okay with God. There are some people who would rather find false teaching to relieve their guilt than let Jesus remove their guilt through repentance. Today, there are Christians who've bought into demonic teaching and they tolerate sexual sin, thinking God won't mind. And they say things like, well, we all sin. Who am I to judge? God understands that person's unique. But Jesus has a problem with that. I need you to realize this. Jesus has a problem with that way of thinking. In Revelation 2, he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. I have this complaint against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. She's a bishop in some of these denominations. By her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. We're living in a day that in telling, instead of telling people that they need to repent of sexual sin, There are people called pastors who lead God's people into sexual immorality and people who call themselves Christians tolerate it like it's no big deal. But understand this, tolerance is no substitute for repentance. Tolerance can often be a counterfeit of repentance. So for those of you who have family and friends who identify as gay, I want you to understand when you love people and you know the truth, that they're living in sin, it leads to sorrow. And I've talked to several people in our church who are living through this today. It leads to sorrow. What do you do when you feel that sorrow? You've got to embrace it. You cannot try to excuse it away by changing God's word to make yourself feel better. You do with your sorrow what Jesus did with sorrow. He also felt sorrow over a sinful, wicked generation, and he took that sorrow to God in prayer. He showed love to the lost. And you've gotta take your need and your prayers and your sorrows to God. You've gotta pray for your lost friends and family members, for them to have their eyes open, to see the truth, to have their hearts softened by the Holy Spirit, that they would come to repentance. What you cannot do is change God's word to excuse sin. What you don't wanna do is find some false teacher to tell you, oh, it's all fine, so that you can feel better. Because soothed feelings won't save your loved ones. Only God's grace through repentance can save our lost friends and family members. So here's truth and grace. Truth. The Bible is clear that homosexuality is a sin, but grace says that all sinners can repent, turn to Jesus, and receive salvation. Now The world says that in order to love gay people, you have to accept the gay lifestyle, but we cannot accept the gay lifestyle because God does not accept it. We tell people the truth that homosexuality is a sin because we love people, and we want them to find Jesus. The truth is what sets people free. Now there are some people who identify as gay, they have a really big problem being told that God does not tolerate their lifestyle. But God's love gives us something greater than tolerance. It doesn't just accept us as we are, it changes us into something better. God receives all of us exactly as we are with our baggage and our sins and our evil desires and our history, right? He loves us where we're at, but he also loves us too much to leave us there. He loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. He's in the business of taking broken things and making them new. And that's what he does with us. So Christians, we should be, listen, loving and kind to all homosexual people. But we cannot affirm something as good that God has called wicked, because that would be a lie. It is good to be friends with people who identify as gay. That's a good thing. If you have the opportunity to be in relationship with someone Who's gay, and you can love them and you can be a good friend to them. But here's what's going to happen. More often than not, they're not going to want to be friends with you if you do not celebrate their lifestyle or compromise the truth. There are some people who will come seeking the truth and maybe you'll have an open door to be a friend and and show them the love of God. And we should show everyone the love of God. But then there are some people who they just want to fight or they just want someone to condone what they wanna do. And so it's good to be friends, but remember that friendship doesn't set people free. It's the truth that sets people free. And a true friend shares the truth. Now I know you've got different family members, different friends, some at work, some in family, some in your neighborhood, and you might wonder like, well how do I handle those relationships? What do I say? What do I do? And I'll get a lot of questions about specific situations. And the thing is, there is no one size fits all way to handle all of these different situations, whether it's a child or a coworker, or a family member. What you've got to do as a Christian is first, you've got to know what God's word says. And then you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance and wisdom to handle your situation the right way. Sometimes you're gonna have someone who's combative and they just wanna fight and the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you to just be quiet. And other times you're gonna have someone who's asking questions and they legitimately wanna know the truth and the Holy Spirit is gonna give you an open door and the boldness to speak the truth in love. In those situations, you wanna speak the truth and be courageous. In every one of these situations, we should be kind, We should be gentle because Romans says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. But we should also always be clear because the truth sets us free. So what would Jesus say to someone living a gay lifestyle? It's really not that complicated or mysterious. It's the same thing that he says to all of us. In Luke chapter nine, Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. The cross of Jesus Christ is a place of inclusivity and equality. Every single human being Regardless of their past, their sinful desires, their experiences, their ethnicity, whatever, is invited to do the same thing. And people overcomplicate this conversation. They want to debate all the little nuances and what ifs. But Jesus offers all of us the same invitation. He says, die to yourself and who you were so that you can live a new life that pleases God. Deny yourself and your own sinful desires so that you can do what God desires. And he says, leave your old life behind so that you can follow me and receive eternal life. The problem we have today is that there are people who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and bring their old sinful life with them. And Jesus says that doesn't work. Anyone who tries to save their old life will lose it. You've got to give up the things from your past, your sinful desires, lay them at the foot of the cross, and follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus and keep willingly living a sexually immoral lifestyle at the same time. I know this teaching isn't popular in our culture, and so some Christians try to, to tone it down and make it more palatable and socially acceptable. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to ask our church today, are you embarrassed about what God says in his word? Are you embarrassed about what God says about sexual sin? In Luke 9, 26, Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory. The truth is that if you stand for the truth, Other people will likely eventually hate you for it the way that they hated Jesus for telling the truth. They might call you a bigot and slander your character, even though you're not. And so you've just got to decide, would you rather be accepted by the world or accepted by Christ? Because you're not going to get a well done from both of those groups. It's one or the, either the world is going to accept you and celebrate you, Or Jesus is going to accept you and celebrate you. You've got to decide whose approval matters more to you. You've probably heard this objection, but aren't some people just born that way? What if people are just born that way? It's just who they are. They can't change. First off, there's no scientific evidence that that's true. And even if there were, it wouldn't change anything. Because we're all born with a sinful nature and misdirected desires. Amen? We're all born with a sinful nature spiritually and misdirected desires. That's why Jesus said we must be born again. Not of flesh and water, but of the spirit. See, one of the most effective lies of the devil is getting people to wrap up their identity in sexual sin. So that homosexuality is not something you do, but he tricks people into believing it's who you are. And so when they hear God does not approve of homosexuality, they think that means God could never accept me. That's not what he says. He says, I love you. He gave Jesus so that none would perish, but that all would receive eternal life. He doesn't want anyone to perish. God loves all people. And he sent Jesus to set us free from all sin. So he would say to a homosexual person, just like he said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. But now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. It is possible for any sinner to be changed. Not by willpower or therapy, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Going back to the earliest days of the church, Jesus has been changing people and setting people free from sin. All of us were once like that but we were changed, we were cleansed, we were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that power is still working in people's lives today. Jesus is still setting people free from sin today. He is still changing people and making them new. Some people who are living a gay lifestyle, they call on the name of Jesus, they give their life to Christ, and the Lord removes those sinful desires and replaces them with healthy sexual desires, and they go on to live in a normal marriage between one man and one woman, and enjoy a healthy sex life. And that's awesome, we have people in our church with that testimony. And then other people, they might give their life to Christ, and love Jesus legitimately, but still struggle with same-sex attraction. And Jesus loves those people, and God accepts them and he receives them and he gives them the power to resist temptation and live a holy celibate lifestyle some people they're like celibacy what's that it means you don't have to have sex you realize Jesus lived the perfect life but he never had sex he was actually a virgin <laughs> <sighs> Some people can't even imagine this because our culture is so sexualized you can't even imagine fulfillment and contentment without sex. But you don't have to have sex. You're not doing it right now. Just keep doing that. Some of you are like, I can't stop. You stop when you go to the grocery store. Keep that going. (laughs) So... It's one thing to be a Christian and love the Lord and continue to struggle with sexual temptation. That's normal. That's a common struggle that all Christians have, regardless of if it's same-sex attraction or opposite-sex attraction. A lot of us struggle with sexual temptation. That's, That's pretty common. And temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Even Jesus was tempted it's what you do with that temptation that matters. Some people, they, they sometimes, they mess up, and they slip up. And in those moments, they have to confess their sin. And aren't you grateful that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin yes. and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? But there's a big difference between messing up and confessing sin versus calling yourself a Christian and living in an ongoing, hard-hearted, unrepentant, sexually immoral lifestyle. You can't do that. It's incompatible. God has called us to holiness and he's placed his spirit in us to help us do what he's called us to do. Now, it's not always easy. It can be hard. It can be hard at times to resist temptation. Amen. I know some some of you might think, man, this this seems like a tall order. It's really hard to do what's right. I, I wanna encourage you. God's gonna give you the strength to resist temptation and flee. Some of you think, man, it's really hard to live in this world. It's just a broken and dark world and you can feel overwhelmed when you think about how lost the world is. And I wanna encourage you. There is hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ is changing people's lives. And our church is here to make a difference. And the world is dark, but that just lets the truth of Jesus shine that much brighter. Don't let it discourage you. I know it's hard. The word of God says this in 2 Corinthians, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. This life carries a lot of challenges at times. Sorrow, temptation, struggle, but life is like a mist. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and eternity is gonna last a long time, and these struggles are gonna be in the rearview mirror and a thing of the past. God gives us the strength we need to live for him, and he gives us the grace to do what's right, despite our sinful nature. And thankfully, his mercy forgives us and redeems us, although we do sin at times. Thank God for his mercy, for his grace. And thank God for the truth that leads us into freedom. We need all of that. Amen? And so I'm going to end this message today with a call to repentance. And we're going to ask God for help. First, some of us might need to repent for living in a sexually immoral lifestyle. Whether it's fornicating, pornography, homosexuality, whatever it is, maybe the Holy Spirit is calling on you to repent of that sin. Some of us might need to repent for being unloving in thoughts or actions towards people who identify as gay. Some of you might need to repent for tolerating sexual immorality and compromising on the truth of God's word. If none of those things apply to you, that's okay. And then we're gonna also ask God for help. We're gonna pray for opportunities to show love to people who are trapped in sin and living a sexually immoral lifestyle. We're going to pray for lost family members and friends to be set free from sin and the lies of Satan. We're going to pray for God to help all of us flee sexual temptation and live righteously for God's glory. And we're going to pray for God to give us boldness to live for Christ in a fallen world. Let's stand to our feet at this time. God is so good. Amen. If you're here and you say, I need to accept Jesus into my life, you can do that right now. Just go ahead and tell God you need forgiveness. You need Jesus to save you. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says you will be forgiven. The rest of us, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. For those of us who need to confess sin, we do that right now. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. Lord, we ask that you would reach and touch our lost. Friends and family members who are trapped in sin, who have been deceived by the devil. Set them free and open their eyes to see the truth and to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Give us opportunities to love those who are lost and give us the boldness and courage to live for you in this broken world. God, we know you have brought us here to this point not by accident but for a purpose to preach the good news that the captive would be released. We thank you, God, that you're setting people free through the truth and that you're saving us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.